to your Bibles, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. It's the 1st of March, it's the first day of autumn, and it's, it's interesting how, as I was praying with Pastor John this morning, the mention was made, it is a change of season, and we've had a hard season over the summer, with the, the heat waves of 47 degree days, the bushfires and the smoke, which affected people's health. It was really difficult going through summer. And, and I'm not a person that likes summer because it's so hot. And I'm, I'm a heavy sweater. And because I don't have hair, like the sweat doesn't get caught by anything. It just drips in my eyes and it stings. I'm not a great fan of summer. Um, so I, I do like the fact now with the new season, um, the days are cooler. The days are getting shorter. Um, but what I'm encouraged with it is, it is it, it, the, the change of season also is a chance for, for renewal. And when you look in Deuteronomy, when you look in Deuteronomy, this is the second giving of the law as a nation of people that were delivered by God from bondage had been set free. They had been set free and they got so close to the land of abundance that God had promised. God had delivered them by his mighty hand, and they, by faith, followed him as the fiery pillar by night and the, the cloud of smoke in the day. They saw the Red Sea parted, the Pharaoh's army destroyed. They saw manna come down from heaven and quail to which to feed them. They saw water come from a rock to, to satisfy and quench their thirst. They saw miracle after miracle. They saw defiance defeated. They saw God magnified. They saw their deliverance over and over and over again. And on the edge of the abundance of the promised land that was promised them, they failed. They failed. They were filled with unbelief. And the result of such unbelief, even though they had seen so much of what God had given them, they were trapped in a wilderness of 40 years wandering around and around and around. You come to today in our own lives now, and what we see before us is how we, as the people of God, were once delivered from our Egypt. We are told within the Scriptures that we are bound by sin, that we are by nature children of God's wrath, deserving of judgment, and God, by His grace, sent His Son to deliver us from our sin who clothed himself who, who, in human form, who lived a perfect sinless life, who fulfilled every requirement of God's law and when crucified upon a cross, taking upon himself my judgment, my sin, my guilt, my shame. He took that upon him and took it to the grave. And when he was dead, because he that is dead is freed from sin, as we discussed on Friday night at the Bible study upstairs. Christ was resurrected again, declared to be the Son of God in power, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And that through faith in him, we are set free from our Egypt. 
And we witness uh, the, the life-changing transformation of God's power within our lives who gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh to take away our heart of stone and transforms us from being an old creature to a completely new creation, a, a citizen of this world transformed into a citizen of heaven. And we see the miracles of God take place within our lives and see things change and see things happen. And then we are promised this land of abundance in Christ that he promised us, that he wants to give to us. And yet on the very edge of such abundance, what happens? We fail. That through our own unbelief, we end up wandering around and around on the very brink of blessing and wondering why don't I experience such a joy? Why don't I experience such life? Why don't I experience such abundance? I have a question, list of questions for you. For you as an individual, if you were to go through these questions, where am I going spiritually in my walk with Jesus? Does my life consist of me going through the motions of being a Christian? Would I much rather let an opportunity to say something about Jesus go by? Have I lost my joy for the things of God and find joy in worldly pursuits? And that last one, has my desire to chase the divine purpose God has given me vanished? I can't answer that question for you. I can't. But essentially, this is us walking in the wilderness, being frustrated of what could be. That's for us as individuals. What about us as a church? Where, for us as a church, where do, do we know our purpose? Where are we going as a church? You know, why do we gather here? Is it comfort? Is it routine? Is it familiarity? When given the chance to attend a church event, would you rather do something else? Here's one for you. Do I see being at church on time, especially when the preacher harps on about it over and over, do you find that as annoying? Do I see the current state of the church as unhealthy? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, if not all of these questions, you must ask yourself this one thing. Why? Why am I in such a state? Why, you know, for, for yourself, why? For the greater church, uh, I know for myself, I take responsibility for I have failed and fallen short in certain areas as well. But the reality is this, that if you get a gathering of people made up of individuals, and each individual is in an unhealthy place, then what you've done is, is just conglomerated a whole bunch of unhealthy people together that don't go anywhere. You're just unhealthy together. That, that's all it is. Now, as depressing as these questions are to start off with, these questions were actually very encouraging for me. They were encouraging for me in the sense that I heard a word shared with me. A word shared with me that I'm going to share with you today. Because the people shared the same word with me the same day, and, and, and even though, even though they, things may be as they are, we are still standing. Even though things haven't gone the way 
we'd like it to go because of some bad choices we made, we are still here. And, and due even to the sinfulness of our own hearts, we do remain because, and the word shared with me even this morning from my daughter was the word restoration. That we serve a God of restoration. That we serve a God that seeks to restore the joy that we've lost. To, re- to, to restore the vibrancy and, and the life that we often turn away from. You see, God, by His grace, has enabled us by the power of His Spirit, standing upon the promises of His Word, comforting us by His Holy Spirit, and encouraging us through each other that we can truly press on and move forward in the gospel. The gospel is about renewal. The gospel is about forgiveness. The gospel is about restoration. The gospel is about, and I got a great um, thing given to me from Pastor John by Edmund Chan, and it's the gospel is about restoration, about redemption. It's about redemption, about starting over and letting go. And so if you had a look at these questions and thought, okay, if this is where I'm at, I can encourage you now, and I know you don't want to remain there, and I know God doesn't want you to remain there, so let's look into the Scriptures together and see from the children of Israel the lessons that we can apply in our own lives, in our own relationship, so we can go in and take possession of what God has promised us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace And we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have delivered us from our Egypt through faith in you and through the work you've done on the cross. And I pray that we as your people will be sensitive to your spirit, that in each of our own lives, whatever is hindering us, whatever is preventing us from moving forward, whatever is holding us back from experiencing the abundance you have promised, I pray you will make it evident to us and give us the courage and the boldness to overcome. So we commit ourselves to you now and ask you to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's sermon is called Ewomph. Ewomph. I've decided to call it Ewomph. It's not a real word, but I'm hoping you remember it. And basically, Ewomph means enough is enough, walk on, move forward. Enough is enough. Walk on, move forward. Now, if you recall, Israel have been walking in the wilderness outside of the promised land for 40 years. For 40 years, they've gone around and around and around. And they saw the previous generation drop off one by one by one. If you read in the scriptures, when they first denied, well, sorry, when they were first denied entry, God said nobody over the age of 20 is going to get into the promised land. So everybody else, 19 and younger, saw all their uncles and aunties and dads and granddads and mums, and they just all dropped off. They saw that themselves. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we get given these three words. We turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. I will not have it up there, so please turn to it in your Bibles. And we're going to start off reading. Deuteronomy chapter 1, the Lord God said to us at Horeb, 
you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the land of Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Now, here's the thing. There are three wonderful things that I want to take from this verse, and, and here's what I like. You want to know about entering into your abundance, entering into the promised land that God has given you? Then, one, know your purpose. Know your purpose. For the Israelites, God said to them, one, you stayed here long enough. Enough is enough. You've walked around for 40 years, and prayerfully you have learnt your lesson. Enough is enough. Move on. Then he says, break camp and advance in verse 7. And then he says in verse 8, go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give you. In these three verses, there is one, a wake-up call from apathy. A wake-up call from apathy. We get so comfortable with going through the motions. We end up in a bit of a trance as to what's going on around us that we just think, ah, our life literally becomes blah. It's just blah, that's it. And, and that's, that's how we think our life is ever going to be. It, we, it becomes blah because we adhere to, say, intellectual arguments. It becomes blah because of, say, legalistic living. It becomes blah, as, as Pastor Edmund Chan puts it, due to regimented living, only to find ourselves falling over and over and over again. And because of such continual defeats, we just think, why? But we, we experience this, but we're not content with this. See, blah is walking around in the, promise, in, in the wilderness. That's what blah is. I know I keep saying blah, but I'm sorry. It's, but here's the thing. The, the charge comes in verse 7 when he says, break camp and move. You're living in blah, break camp and move. And I think one of the biggest hindrances in our spiritual growth is our innate ability to identify problems and do nothing to break free from them or to move away from them. We're great at criticizing. We're great at critiquing. We'll look at something, and I can tell you, you'll find maybe five or six ways that it could be done better. That's what we do. We do this even within our own hearts. But here, the challenge is, no, break camp. Move from the comfort of the familiar and keeps us trapped in that blah state. Instead of that third thing, going in and taking possession. Going in and taking possession of the promised land that he offered to give. What he wants us to take. It is not being denied us by God. God's not wanting to hold anything back from us. God's not like what I do sometimes with my kids when they were young. Say, come and get this, <laughs> sucker. No, it's not. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. God wants to bestow abundantly upon us, to bless us abundantly. He wants us to live in complete dependence and contentment in Him. 
That's what he wants. So that's why he says, go in, take possession of the land that I gave you. I'm giving it to you. It's yours. I want you to have that. But for order to us to have that, what do we need to do? Break camp and move. Break camp from the attitudes that keep us trapped. Break camp from the unforgiveness that we hold on to in our hearts. Break camp from our lack of unbelief. Break camp from our laziness. Break camp from our entertainment and things outside of God. Break camp and then move to where God wants you to be. That's, what, that's what's involved. That's what we're challenged with this. But the problem with a lot of us as Christians, including myself, is that we expect the glories of Resurrection Sunday without going through the brutalities of Good Friday's crucifixion. That's what we're expecting. We're expecting the ease of, I want it all good, but it's not going to cost me a cent. That's what we look at today. You see, we are promised, we are promised by Jesus himself an abundant life in John chapter 10, verse 10. We, we are given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, according to Ephesians 1.3. We are bestowed with a manner of love that we, we sinful people like you and I, are called the sons and daughters of God. We are guaranteed victory in Jesus' name, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Thus, Our purpose, the purpose that I am to know, the purpose that I am to seek to fulfill is to what? Is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as myself. Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. That's what Jesus says. It's to to let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. It is for us to be holy because he is holy. I think it's 1 Peter 1.15, but as he who has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. For abundance, for abundance to be experienced means that you and I ought to break camp from our old habits, our old perspectives, our old ways of thoughts, our old expectations, our old defeats, even our old sins, go forward in the power of Jesus' name and take that which has been rightfully promised to us by him. Because when you look, I don't know if I put it up there. I did. Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. For if, for if while we were God's enemies, think about this, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. I want you to remember, think on that for a second. While you were an enemy of God, he sent Jesus to bring you to himself. While you were an enemy, not while you were his child, not while you were his friend, while you were his enemy, God said, I want you to die for Brad, who is my enemy. I want you to die for Sandra, who is my enemy because of their sin. I want you to die for Joe, for all his sinfulness. I want you to die for him. So while we were his enemies... He sent his son to reconcile me to him. So having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Can can you grasp the gravity of that truth? That while I was an enemy, he died for me. 
So then why on, why on earth would you hold anything else back? I gave it to you. I gave you the best that I had when you were my enemy. Now that you're my child, I will give you even more. I will bless you even more. And I want you to experience even more. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are now friends with God because of our Lord and Savior. Therefore, if in Christ, having been granted such abundance and knowing and fulfilling our divine purpose, what I mean by that is we now have this knowledge with who God is, it moves on to the second thing though. Expect conflict. Expect conflict. This is one of the craziest things as I was looking through this. So they get to the promised land, and they're not promised ease. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be simple. They weren't going to go in there, kick back, have a margarita with a, with a little umbrella in it, and sit back and chill for the rest of their lives. No. They were moving into the promised land that was rightfully theirs, and he is told in verse 1, which I didn't put up there. Oh, yes, I said, no, I didn't. In verse 1 of, verse, of chapter 7, it says this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land. Okay, remember verse 8. It says, go into the land, which I promised I'd give you. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations. The Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Seven nations larger and stronger than you. That's crazy. God has delivered them from their Egypt, brings them to the edge of the promised land, says, all right, break camp, get up, go. And there are going to be seven nations that are stronger, bigger, more powerful than you. You know what that means? There's going to be conflict. From the get-go, they knew what they were getting into. It wasn't going to be a life that was problem-free. It wasn't going to be an adventure where they could sit down and have a lot of laughs. It was going to be a fight. For them to claim the abundance God had promised them, it was going to be a battle. And the way those nations were overcome was that as they are obeying God's call in their lives, they will experience conflict. They will experience difficulty. I think... And I speak from personal experience. For me, many of us, we experience the joy of becoming a child of God through faith in Jesus. And it consumes everything. We smile at everything. We're excited at everything. We're enthused at everything. This is my father's world, which is a lovely hymn. Um, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. There's one line that says, in the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. It's a beautiful old hymn. But I think well, when I, one of the first hymns I sung as a new Christian, that's true. I remember I would look at a sunset and think, wow, Lord, what a great sunset that you painted. I see a flower. Wow, Lord. What a sweet I know I see God in everything. Wow, it's, it's so amazing. And then what happens over time? Life. And it takes our vision off the sheer greatness of God and looks at the circumstance that I'm faced with. 
and it robs me. It robs me. We, we, we think it's going to be, oh, yeah, sweet. It's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden we encounter hardship and we're shocked. What? I got opposition? Somebody doesn't like the name of Jesus? Or what? I got yelled at because I said I love Jesus? Or what? I'm a fanatic because I read my Bible? I'm a fanatic because I got a Bible study? I'm crazy because I believe in God? And you hear all these little things over and over again, and it just chips away, doesn't it? It chips away. It chips away as the enemy seeks to steal just a little bit of joy here and a little bit of joy there. How he likes to, to kill a little bit of enthusiasm here and a little bit of zeal here. And he seeks to destroy just your whole desire for the things of God. Those little things, little things. And it's really quite fascinating how when you look throughout church history, whenever the church was fully faced with, with complete persecution, they thrived. They thrive. The, the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. We read that. And we read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You see, whenever there's a full-on front or someone said to you, come up to Jimmy and say, Jimmy, deny Jesus. And if you don't deny Jesus, we'll kill you. And I guarantee you, Jesus, the Jane, Jim, no. <laughs> Jonathan, I'll call him now. Okay. So. But, but I get yeah, Timmy, yeah, Timmy. So, but, I, but I guarantee you, Jimmy, when he's given such confrontation, he'll make a stand. No, no. But when the enemy finds out that a full frontal attack doesn't work, what does he do? All right, let's see if we can make Jimmy go apostate. Let's, let's give a little, little chip here and a little chip there. Let, let, let's take away a little bit here and a little bit there. Let's discourage him in this way and that way. Let's disappoint him in this way and that way. And before you know it, the thief has come. And he's stolen, and he's killed, and he's robbed from Jimmy that which he didn't want to lose. And I think that's what involves with a lot of us that ends up, that ends up us being in the wilderness. And some of it comes down to, part of it, and I know this for myself as I've met people, and, and I've been guilty of it myself to a certain extent, some of it comes about because we didn't count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Once again, we want the glories of Resurrection Sunday without the brutalities of Good Friday's crucifixion. We, that's what we want. And so we often don't count the cost. We didn't expect the conflict to be so fierce. If you read in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 30, it talks about being a disciple. No man, no man builds a tower without first counting the cost of what materials he'll need. No man goes into battle without first seeing how much soldiers he's got in comparison to the king. And, and that's what happens. The battle will be so fierce. And the battle is fierce because it's the enemy fighting for the souls of man to steal them from their creator, from their God who loves them. Or didn't think that our, attitude, our attitudes could change so drastically as time moves on. That enthusiasm, yet nothing will ever change it. And then 10 years later, it's changed. Because our hearts are deceitful, Jeremiah 17, 9. And what I found, if you look in Galatians 6, 9, we're encouraged, don't become weary in well-doing. And, and often when we look around, even in our own lives, we're weary. We've been worn down. After disappointment, after disappointment, after disappointment. And so what God does here in Deuteronomy is he encourages these people as they break camp and move on to take possession. Prayerfully, we can do something here. And this is the first thing he says for them to do. Destroy with extreme prejudice. 
I know that sounds drastic, but I think it's quite a, quite a good point. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Extreme prejudice. There are things in life that we need to destroy. Things that are not good for us. Things that could prove damaging or detrimental to our walks with God and our relationship with Jesus. And you can list them quite easily. A lot of it's going to be different for different people. There, there are things that are relevant to this right away. Things like drugs or alcohol. Things, thing, things like pornography or, or, or just sleeping around and being in promiscuity. We have all these sort of big things, swearing. For some people, for me, swearing stopped like that. That was, that was good. One of the elders of my church back in New Zealand, that was, that was a real difficult thing for him because he had a foul mouth before he became a Christian. When he became a Christian, he would still let a few expletives drop out here and there. But for him, that was a real wrestle. But that was something that he needed to destroy in Jesus' name. But the thing is, there are stuff that aren't so clear-cut. Things that aren't so bad to us, but to God, they're a big deal because they draw us away from achieving the purpose God has given us. Things that need to be destroyed. It might be our attitude towards work, which we consider to be the, the be-all and end-all of our existence. Here's a good one. Gossip, which we justify by saying, oh, this person has needs. Let's talk about them so we can pray for them more effectively when all we're really doing is gossiping about them. That, that, is, that is far more damaging at the cost of unity. There are other things. It might be ungodly relationships or ungodly attitudes to those relationships. There are things in your life that you put yourself under, that you put yourself under, that prevents you from experiencing the abundance God's promised. And, and, and here's what's crazy about us, is that we might say, oh, Lord, I, I did this many years ago as a young Christian. Um, we, isn't it fascinating? And please don't take this personally, but isn't it fascinating how the, the, the television or the computer or our, 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 our big projector screen or whatever it might be has the place of honor within our living rooms? That's, that's the shrine. That's the, where we go and sit in our living room. Everyone gathers around the shrine and worship, worships at the shrine of personal entertainment. Okay? And so what we did, what I did as a young Christian, we had our one. It was me living with three guys. And we said, we were sitting there watching TV. And we just sat there. It was me, Pastor Don, uh, from, from up, up uh, Gosford. Me and Pastor Don. Um, Pastor Roger just left. Uh, and a guy named Doug, Doug McClay, McDougal. Um, so he was there as well. And we were all sitting there worshiping at the altar of the television. This is long before. In New Zealand, you had three channels. Channel one, channel two, channel three. Okay, and so we're watching the three channels, and then we just sat there and thought, we're wasting a lot of time, eh? Pastor Don goes, yeah. Why do you reckon we smash it? It wasn't our TV. It was, it was Doug's. <laughs> and, uh, and we said, we looked at each other and said, what do you reckon, Doug? I know it's yours, bro. Why do you reckon we smash it? And he goes, yeah, let's smash it. So we take the TV outside, we got a cinder block, we sat there, and we just had fun. Are you ready? Ready? And we just dropped the cinder block through the television. And because it was one of those old vacuum-type things, it exploded. It was amazing. 
But I was just like, bam! And we sang a song of praise, and we prayed <laughs> as we sacrificed our TV. All right, so, but here's, now, okay, wonderful, whoa. And we, yeah, we, and we sat there, and we wrote, and people, we, we, we had got some guys over here at college, we wrote them a letter, and we sent them photos of the destroyed TV. And then they were like, wow, that's so extreme. And you know what happens now? You go to my house, you go to Doug's house, you go to Don's house, yeah, we got the TV back. We got it back. Oh, a new TV, yeah, flat screen, okay? <laughs> but see what happens? See what happens, though? That's what we do, don't we? If we're not, we are told within the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, okay? We are told this, okay? I have the right to do anything you, I have the right to do anything you, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. What it means by this, though we have been given liberty to live how we will, it may not benefit you spiritually. It may not benefit your life. It may not benefit your family's life. It may not be a great example for those who don't know Jesus. It could, you know, even though we have the right to do this, and, and even though we have that freedom, if we even though we had that freedom, we must be on guard. If we don't break, camp, and destroy, then we will have the same traps we fall into maybe a few years down the track. I, here's the thing. The enemy, Satan, patient, is patient. He can wear you down. He can wait you out. I mean, we read, we read in, in, in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness that at an opportune time, you know, Jesus is tired, he's hungry, at the end of 40 days, he comes in with the temptation. And then it says that he departed for a season. He's like, yeah, let's wait him out. Let's wait him out. Garden of Gethsemane, praying and dripping sweats of drops of blood as he prays for us, as he prays for what's about to happen. And so what does Satan do? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's have a go. Let's have a go. So he'll wait you out. So you've got to be aware. We don't want to give the enemy a foothold in our life. Therefore, we must destroy with extreme prejudice those things within our lives that can withhold us from living in the abundance promised. Second one. Don't compromise holiness. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and quickly destroy you. The setting apart, the setting apart of Israel by God wasn't done to be a killjoy. Nor was it done to be controlling. As Christians, we believe that the king knows what's best for us as his people. Then when he says words like this, then perhaps we should take a note. Because the reality is, if you have one person with one vision from one kingdom and another person from another vision, from, with a, from another kingdom with another vision, if they don't coincide, then there will end up being conflict. One person will have to cave. One person will have to cave. And it is a very, very rare situation where the person of God doesn't cave. That's what I've discovered. It's not that he's withholding happiness, but rather that you shouldn't try to find happiness from something that takes away that happiness from the true source of joy, 
the true source of happiness. I remember that pastor who said, you know, where you have two visions, you have division, that's what will happen. And because we're not grounded or because we're chasing another purpose, because we're ignorant of what our purpose is, we give into it little by little until there's nothing left of Christ within our lives except the label of Christian. And, and, and I see this and I've spoken. Oh, okay, I didn't ask, I, I won't tell you the story. I didn't ask my daughter if I could tell the story. But you, you see this continually when people, they have this idea of what Christians are about. And sadly, sadly, their idea of Christians is, is far shorter than what God actually expects of us as his people. And it wasn't because this one person had a view of Christians, and they, they said some things, and, and sadly, I couldn't refute what they said about Christians, because that is so evident. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 Verses 14 to 18. I don't think I put it up there. No, I didn't. It says this. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Almighty. Now we can justify our decisions as much as we want. We can put our happiness as the deciding factor as to whether I will follow through on such a thing or whether I won't. My choices will be okay. And we can end up with this. We are so deceitful within heart, we will justify anything in order to make us feel good. We will justify anything. But you talk to some people who have cheated on their wives and they will say, well, How would God stop me from being happy because I feel complete with this person? Well, no, that's not of God. That's you. That's on you. Because you know what God expects of you in your marriage. Or you go and you look in some prisons where there are fanatical Christians who have killed other people and said, I had to do this because God told me. Well, hang on a sec. I don't think God would justify such a thing. You know what I mean? And so this is, that's, what makes it, that's what makes it so don't compromise holiness. Now, look, this is what God's Word says. Read the Scriptures. Take it up with Him. Because ultimately, you answer to Him. And perhaps we may be dissatisfied with our spiritual state because we've compromised personal holiness for the sake of acceptance. And thus, if that's what we've done... We will, we will be perpetually outside of the abundant promised land we've been promised. And we'll continue to be frustrated and we'll continue to be disappointed as we go round and round and round in circles. That's the reality of it. That's the reality of it. Next thing you have to do when we expect conflict, get Practical. This is what you are to do to them. 
break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. There comes a time for the talk to end. There comes a time when enough is enough. There comes a time we need to take a spiritual bat to the idols or a cinder block to a TV where we take these things and we overcome our sinful, ease-filled, laid-back attitude of 21st century Christianity. We are talkers. We are great talkers. I mean, look, we're talkers. We, 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 we can talk. Man, my dad, my dad, he's, he, is, he is eloquent. My dad can talk, man. He's, he's smooth. The way he talks, the way he can be. You can tell him, Dad, can you say a speech? He's like, bam. He's great. But talking means squat if it doesn't follow up with action. And, and we, we know, we know of, of what's expected of us to destroy with extreme prejudice, to not compromise that of holiness. Well, then, okay, then, then let's get practical. Then let's get practical. We are theoretical in our approach to the Christian life. We know the promises of God. We know the scriptures. We know the right things to say, and yet hold on to the things that detract, distract, and diminish our vision of the Lord Jesus. And so what is that for you? What are, what are the things, what are the Asherah poles that you need to take a bat to? What are, the, what are the pagan altars in your life that you sacrifice to in the morning? Is it, is it your phone? Is it social media? What are the sacred stones you look to for guidance instead of heeding the word of God through the Spirit? Is it the news? Is it, is it YouTube? Is it Twitter? Is it it's various things? What are the Asherah poles that you gather at and satisfy your carnal desires? Is it computer games? Which I must admit, we had, um, we had Penny and, 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 and Kenny over yesterday for, for dinner. And it was great. And he bought his virtual reality thing. Man, that was fun. I must admit, I, the amount of time I was playing a game, and I was like, then all of a sudden I, I hit, felt a tap on my shoulder, and she goes, "Hun, fellowship," and I'm like, "I am." <laughs> so yeah, so I, I ended up, I, but she was right. I said, took that off, and then I went and sat and down and, and started fellowshipping. And I must admit, like it was fun. But you couldn't substitute that for actually sitting down and talking with a brother or a sister or making fun of kids and pushing them around. So, yeah. Is it games? Is it porn sites? Is it, is it Hollywood movies? Is it entertainment? How can I practically break, smash, and cut down that which appeals to my immature nature? Well, get practical. Repent. Commit my way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do all this. So that's Psalm 37, 5. Psalm 37, 4, which you know, and I've quoted a number of times. Delight yourself also on the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. Which will mean being uncompromising in holiness and destroying that which is detrimental in your relationship with Jesus. You have to. If that's what it takes to enter into the promised land of God's abundance, that which he wants to give you. He never, you're never shortchanged with him. You are never shortchanged. So if it's know your purpose, expect conflict, understand how you are seen. 
Because, did I put it up there? You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Knowing your purpose, knowing why you are here, is great for our direction. It's great for where we are going. We know what we're aiming for. But understanding how you are seen by God, who's given me my purpose, changes my attitude and my motivation to fulfill that purpose. Knowing that I am loved... See, in verse 6, Israel is set apart, holy, but it isn't because they chose him, but rather he chose them. Out of all the nations of the world, God chose them to be his treasured possession, valued, protected, and involved. In verse 7, we discover it's not because they had anything of value or worth that garnered God's, uh, God's choice. It wasn't their numbers because they were fewest. It wasn't their might, because they're a weak nation. If you read their history, it was because even though they continually failed and, and turned away from God, the sole reason for God's favor and involvement and deliverance is because of one, his love, and two, his promise or his covenant to their ancestors. When we look at his love toward us, like Israel we are undeserving of such love. We are. It is not because we have anything of value, and it's not because we are anything worthwhile to earn such love, but because he chose to demonstrate that love for the following reasons. He is love, and two, the covenant that he made to save us from our sin. God the Father, by his mighty hand in Jesus Christ, bought those who trust in him out of the bondage of Egypt, a life of slavery from our Egypt, a life of slavery to sin, a life of lust and passions, a life of self-absorption, selfishness, pride, anger, hate, envy. He redeemed us by his blood. He purchased us to a newness of life and to himself. To meditate on that should stir us with awe, stir us to break camp, and go and take possession of what he gives us. Which means this. Live in obedience. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. I don't need to elaborate on this. It's self-explanatory. But because you are loved, because you are chosen, because you are favored, take care. Consider thoughtfully. Determine willingly, live obediently, for in living obediently, constrained by Christ's love and loving for him who loved us and gave himself for us, we would experience the fullness of God's presence continually, see the promises of word come to pass personally, and witness the power of his spirit inwardly and outwardly. Living in obedience would mean that we would break camp Go in, take possession, and then experience the abundance we've been promised in Christ. 
I know that is what I want. I pray that will be what you want as well. And in so doing, make some hard choices. If you just want to bow your heads, I want to close in prayer. We won't close in a song. Um, yeah, I want to give you a few moments of silence to pray. And if God spoke to you today, I would encourage you to talk to someone about it, encourage someone, bless someone, and how we can best help each other in living in the obedience that God calls us to. Heavenly Father, as we come before you in the quietness of this moment, we, Lord, are a people in need. We need you to move in our hearts. We need you to move in our lives. We need you to become the all in all. Just as you gave your everything for us, you require us to give our everything for you as well. And Father, that is difficult. I pray that you will help us to let go of the things, um, to destroy that which hinders us, to not compromise on the holiness that you've called us to, to be practical in our approach to life and give up things that end up being that which draws us away from you. And we need your help. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. And I pray, Father, you will help us to do so. Thank you for the promise of abundance and a life full of power, of authority, a life that will involve us drawing closer to you. Father, we ask you to move in our hearts now and, and give us the courage to act on the convictions you place upon our heart. We thank you that you're a God that answers prayer and that you heed prayers of such lowly people as us. Father, we thank you that you listen to us, you incline your ear to us, and that you never leave us nor forsake us. And so as you hear the prayers today, I ask, Father, you will answer each one of them and so they might draw closer to you. Dismiss us now and challenge our hearts. Grow us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. The uh, prayer team will be coming up. And if you would like to be prayed for, we would love to pray for you this morning.